Hello, and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, we saw how Park was trying to cope with the disappearance of Kim by focusing on his work. In this episode, Park considers the danger that he himself is now in as an accomplice to a crime against the state. Let's find out what happens next. The Adventures of Lola Badiola, Chapter 35 Aftershave Park was in a state of high anxiety throughout the rest of the day. He was unable to do any work. His mind kept going back to the conversation with Kang. Where exactly was his best friend, Kim? What were they doing to him? Was he still alive? Park was equally concerned about himself. He was sure that he was going to be interrogated about every element of his relationship with Kim. He would probably receive a lie detector test or be drugged with a truth serum. Every North Korean knew that if you did not immediately report a crime, you became an accomplice to that crime and suffered the same consequences as the criminal. How was Park going to be able to convince the secret police that he knew nothing of Kim's plans without getting tongue-tied? At exactly 6pm, Park shut down his computer and made his way home. He sat at the back of the bus, looking through the window at the urban wasteland surrounding him. He felt like a beautiful big fish that had jumped out of a dirty little pond and now found itself gasping for air. The sense of helplessness was overwhelming. He was the world's greatest computer programmer, a genius, and yet his talents would never be fully realised or appreciated. His life was a miserable failure. He looked at all the other functionaries on the bus in front of him. They were the same pathetic faces that he saw every day going backward and forward in a pointless process of production. They filled in forms and went over reports until one day they were sent back to their villages to grow old and die. He didn't know whether to cry, scream or hijack the bus and drive it to the Chinese border. But before Park could do anything silly, something caught his attention and brought him out of his self-indulgent daydreams. There were two men sitting halfway down the bus that he had never seen before. He was sure that he knew everyone on this daily commute, but these men were new. The strangers were wearing the typical clothes worn by government employees, but their shoes were different. Leather, shiny, high quality, built for outdoor activities, built for the military. Both men had very sharp haircuts, and the backs of their necks were muscular and slightly tanned. It didn't take long for Park to figure out that they were from the secret police, but not the regular secret police. They were too well fed for that. They must have been from the Special Operations Force, SOF, North Korea's finest and bravest soldiers. What were they doing on the bus? What were they doing on this specific bus at this specific moment? It was very unlikely that this was just a coincidence. They must have been following him. Park's sense of paranoia started to grow. The bus arrived at Park's stop. He stood up and walked quickly down the aisle to the exit. He didn't look back. He jumped off the vehicle and made his way directly to his apartment. 
It was getting dark, but there were still plenty of people around. As always, everyone who was out on the street minded their own business. Nobody looked anyone else in the eye. As he got closer to his apartment, he started to speed up, and by the time he reached the entrance to the building, he was running. He didn't dare look backwards, but he sensed the presence of the two Secret Service men breathing down his neck. He took his keys out of his pocket and clumsily unlocked the front door of the building. He closed it behind him and, for the first time, looked to see if anyone had been following him. There was no one, just the neighbours going about their daily business. He realised he was out of breath and sweating. The Russian army coat felt like it weighed a ton. He took it off and carried it up the stairs and into his apartment. As soon as he was inside his living room, he breathed a sigh of relief. He was home, in his castle, protected by his four flimsy walls. He opened the fridge door to get himself a drink of cold water, but the fridge wasn't working. The dodgy electric circuit had been tripped and the contents inside of the machine were at room temperature. Park shook his head and swore. He was sure that he had opened and closed it carefully earlier that morning. He poured himself a glass of tepid water and sat down on the sofa to watch television. He needed to distract himself from the current events in his life. The 7pm news was just finishing and the next programme on the schedule was a documentary about rice production in the North Hamyong province between 1994 and 2009. Park checked the remote control and realised that the television was on the news channel. This didn't make any sense. He was sure that he had left it on the sports channel that morning. There could only be one explanation for why his fridge wasn't working and the television channel had been changed. Someone had been in his apartment. Park started to feel like he was sinking into his sofa, like a great weight had been placed on his shoulders and was pushing down from above. Were the intruders still there? It's starting to get very tense for Park J. Bong. Are the intruders still in his apartment? Well, we're going to find out in the next episode. But right now, we have some really relevant grammar, vocabulary and common expressions to cover. So let's start off with the grammar. Listen to this sentence again. Here we go. His mind kept going back to the conversation with Kang. Where exactly was his best friend, Kim? What were they doing to him? Was he still alive? Okay, every once in a while we stop to review interrogatives to make sure that you're not making any of the common mistakes that we hear all the time. Interrogatives are really quite tricky in English because the structure of the sentence changes so fundamentally. Let's find out if you're making any of these common errors. I'm going to test you on five interrogative formations. Now, if you get all five of these formations correct, you can pat yourself on the back and genuinely consider yourself an advanced English speaker. Are you ready? Here is how the exercise works. I'm going to state the answer to the question and you are going to create the relevant and appropriate question. So, for example, if I say, I'm 50 years old, 
You will say, how old are you? I will say, I live in Madrid. And you will say, where do you live? Okay, these are two easy examples. Let's find out if you can construct the interrogative with the following five more challenging examples. In each case, you have three seconds to construct the question. Here we go. It's my pen. What's the question? It's this door. What's the question? I go to the gym once a week. What's the question? Mario Ruiz de Velasco is tall with silver hair and green eyes. What's the question? And finally, Lola Badiola is hardworking, ambitious and independent. What's the question? Okay, let's go through these one by one. It's my pen. The question is, whose pen is it? Be careful with the interrogative pronoun whose and also the word order of the sentence. It's not whose is this pen? Whose pen is this? Or whose pen is it? Okay, the second question, it's this door. The question is, which door is it? Once again, make sure you get the interrogative pronoun which correct and you get the order of the words correct. Which door is it? Not which is the door. Okay, question number three. I go to the gym once a week. How often do you go to the gym? Not how many times. Frequency we're talking here. How often? Okay, question four. Mario Ruiz de Velasco is tall with silver hair and green eyes. What does Mario Ruiz de Velasco look like? Hmm, that is a tricky sentence to construct. In fact, it's one of the most confusing sentences to construct in the English language. So if you've got it right, very well done. Okay, finally, Lola Badiola is hardworking, ambitious and independent. What's the question? What is Lola Badiola like? Once again, this can be very confusing. In English, you need to differentiate between what is she like when asking about character or personality? What does he look like when asking about physical attributes? And then finally, you can use how is he when you're asking about the general health of someone. It's very easy to get those three interrogatives confused. Not an easy exercise, right? And as I said, if you got all five of those correct, you deserve a pat on the back. 
If you made any mistakes, don't worry. Make a mental note and try not to make those mistakes again. We will keep reviewing interrogatives throughout this podcast and in future podcasts because firstly, they're quite complicated. And secondly, they are fundamentally important in international business. Right, let's move on to vocabulary. Here we go. He felt like a beautiful big fish that had jumped out of a dirty little pond and now found itself gasping for air. The sense of helplessness was overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's a very powerful adjective and it describes a situation where you simply have too much. Too much work, too much stress, too many problems. You are unable to cope with the situation that you find yourself in. When was the last time you felt overwhelmed by someone or something? How did you cope? How did you take back control of the situation? Now, if you're wondering how to spell the word overwhelmed or overwhelming, you can find the word in the summary of this chapter on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to it, because there's a list of all the main points that we cover in this class. So you can just refer to that if you ever get confused or you're unsure of what we're talking about. Okay, let's move on to the next item of vocabulary. He looked at all the other functionaries on the bus in front of him. They were the same pathetic faces that he saw every day going backward and forward in a pointless process of production. Functionaries. Well, the technical definition of a functionary is a person who has official duties, especially in government or in a political party. Someone who carries out simple functions, someone who is essentially told what to do by the powers that be. Now, people who work in government institutions in the UK or the US are known as civil servants or as public employees. That's their official name, official job title. Now, if you refer to these people as functionaries in English, it has a negative implication. You are emphasizing that they are doing a job that requires little thought or creativity. You are implying that they are simply a small part of a very large bureaucracy and are unable to think and act independently. So just be careful. You need to distinguish between civil servant, public employee on one hand, and functionary on the other. Okay, let's move on. There were two men sitting halfway down the bus that he had never seen before. He was sure that he knew everyone on this daily commute, but these men were new. The daily commute. It's a very common expression to describe the journey that you make to and from work. 
When I was working in London, my daily commute was an hour and 15 minutes. I used to catch the London Underground, the District Line. That's the green one. From Wimbledon to central London. And it was really slow. And it was always packed with people. And it stopped at about 20 different stations before it got to my station. I do not miss my daily commute now that I'm living in Madrid. How long is your daily commute? And if you're traveling by train or by car, are you using your time wisely? For example, are you listening to podcasts like this one on your daily commute? Okay, here's the next interesting word. The 7pm news was just finishing, and the next program on the schedule was a documentary about rice production in the North Hamyong province. Okay, first question. Should it be pronounced schedule or schedule? And the second question, what's the difference between a schedule schedule and an agenda and a diary? Okay, the answer to the first question regarding pronunciation is as follows. The Americans, people from the United States, would pronounce this word schedule. The British, people from the United Kingdom, would pronounce this word schedule. Now, since I've been living in Spain, my accent, my pronunciation has become a little more American. In the past, I would have pronounced this word schedule. But nowadays, I found that people find it easier to understand me when I say schedule. So I have adapted and my pronunciation has evolved. I am, dare I say it, sounding more American. Okay, now here's the answer to the second question. An agenda is simply a list of items to be discussed at a meeting or conference. For example, okay team, let's go through the agenda line by line. You might hear that at the beginning of a Monday morning meeting. In contrast, a schedule is a list of all the work that you have to do and the time that you must do each of these things. For example, I have a gap in my schedule between 1pm and 2pm if you'd like to have a Zoom chat. Finally, a diary is a book in which you write down your past activities and perhaps your thoughts on certain issues. For example, Dear Diary, Today I thought about quitting my job for the 19th time. Here's why. So there you go. Make sure you're distinguishing between agenda, schedule, and diary. Okay, we have three simple but effective phrasal verbs. Let's go through them very quickly. 
Here's the first one. At exactly 6 p.m., Park shut down his computer and made his way home. To shut down your computer is to stop the power to the machine and to no longer operate it. You might shut it down at the end of the day or at the end of the week, but it implies a significant stoppage. Okay, here's the next phrasal verb. It didn't take long for Park to figure out that they were from the secret police, but not the regular secret police. They were too well fed for that. They must have been from the Special Operations Force, SOF. Figure out is an extremely important phrasal verb in the world of business, because that's essentially what you do most of your day. You try to solve problems, find solutions, figure out what action should be taken. It implies a deep mental problem-solving process. Okay, here's our third and final phrasal verb. As he got closer to his apartment, he started to speed up, and by the time he reached the entrance to the building, he was running. To speed up, that's an easy one. It means to accelerate. But I have included it in today's class because I want to see if you remember the vocabulary from last week. We had a really cool advanced verb that was almost synonymous with speed up and accelerate. Can you remember what it was? It's normally associated with a process or a plan that needs to reach a quick conclusion. And that's why it's so useful in project management and general management. Can you remember the verb? It was to expedite. Well done if you remembered it. Expedite, accelerate, speed up. Verbs with a very similar meaning, but used in different contexts. Okay, finally, let's cover some common expressions. Here's the first one. How was Park going to be able to convince the secret police that he knew nothing of Kim's plans without getting tongue-tied? To be tongue-tied means that you are unable to find the words that you need to express the thoughts or feelings that you have. It normally happens when you're nervous, excited, or unprepared. It suggests that you are trying to get the words out of your mouth, but you are physically unable to do so. So, for example, you might get tongue-tied when the CEO asks you a random and difficult question in front of a lot of other people. When was the last time you were tongue-tied? Okay, here's the next expression. It was getting dark, but there were still plenty of people around. As always, everyone who was out on the street minded their own business. Nobody looked anyone else in the eye. To mind your own business. This means that you're not taking interest in other people's actions. You are simply focused on your own life and on your own responsibilities. So if somebody tells you to mind your own business, they are insisting that you stop asking questions about the things they are doing. Stop judging them. Stop gossiping about them. Just mind your own business. Okay, here's our third and final common expression. Listen carefully. 
He didn't dare look backwards, but he sensed the presence of the two secret servicemen breathing down his neck. Breathing down your neck. This is a great expression. And it's quite self-explanatory. It means that somebody is staying so close to you and watching you so carefully that you can literally feel their breath on the back of your neck. We had a professor at business school who would tell us to always be breathing down the neck of your employees. Make sure that they know that you know exactly what they're doing all the time. Do you agree with that philosophy of management? Or does it sound a little bit old-fashioned to you? Do you breathe down the neck of your employees? Or do you give them a little bit more space to work independently? With those questions, we come to the end of today's class. If you would like to learn business English on a more formal basis, you can join Marina and me for advanced classes. Just search Club Grattan on Google and you will find us. We hope that you'll be back to listen to the next podcast. Until then, keep bringing English into your life. And remember, sometimes you need to breathe down people's necks. And sometimes you need to mind your own business. (laughs) 